And welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you today. We want to take a look at the civil magistrates, responsibilities before God, Romans 13. Our magistrates are required to punish the evildoers, but increasingly our magistrates are counterproductive to the tasks God has called them to. The wrong worldview yields so much more chaos in the big city. And the one responsibility they've been given to by God is to bring God's justice upon the evildoers, but they don't do that, largely because our magistrates, well, they're evildoers themselves. So it's difficult for them to bring God's justice upon those who do that which is evil. So that, my friends, becomes the conundrum in which we live today. And Adam McManus is our co-host on this edition of the program. And let me give you a few examples of this, Adam, then I want to turn it over to you because I know that you've uh, taken a look at some of these issues today. Oregon Governor Kate Brown announced Tuesday that she's commuting the sentences of all of the state's 17 inmates awaiting execution. She uh, she said their death sentences will be changed to life in prison, but that may or may not happen. She's also commuted the sentences of 1,200 convicted felons, including 10 convicted murderers. So that's happened recently uh, after the COVID-19 thing. Kate Brown is probably the most sexually perverted governor in the United States, with probably the exception of the incoming governor for the state of Oregon, Tina Kotek, uh, and also, I would say, Colorado's governor. Kate Brown uh, breaks God's laws with impunity, has unleashed anarchy in the state of Oregon. And to the extent that these liberals are not lawful and have given up their right as, as a civil magistrate to turn their states over to anarchy until some other lawful government is reinstated, the government, the Oregon people have actually embraced anarchy and tyranny to the ultimate extent. But there is a lawsuit in place, and it could be the rule of law might survive in the state of Oregon. Who knows? Uh, surviving family members have joined the suit, including one Randy Tennant, whose mother-in-law was killed by her grandson when he was just 17 years of age, and Samuel Williams, whose daughter Jessica was stabbed to death and then set on fire. Um, these are the sorts of sentences that are being commuted in the state of Oregon. Terrible, terrible. And uh, obviously concerning to the victims, Adam. Of course. You haven't mentioned it, although it should be fairly obvious that Kate Brown is a Democrat, and you said she's sexually perverted. She's a, an avowed bisexual. Jared Polis is the Colorado governor, which you referenced. He and the so-called first husband, don't you know, quote-unquote, are living in the governor's mansion celebrating their exalted, sexually perverse relationship for all little eyes to see. I mean, what a terrible example that these civil magistrates at the highest level of state government forget about their policies on commuting death sentence, which is bad enough, but just the fact that they're living the sexually perverted lifestyle and flaunting it and proud of it for all to see, including these hundreds of thousands of impressionable children in their respective states, it's just an embarrassment to the state. You know, and it's not just uh, America, England, and Wales. Average time in prison for the crime of murder is 16.5 years. And, you know, that opposed to the biblical requirement in Genesis 9-6 that whoever sheds man's blood by man should his blood be shed, which means that the requirement for capital punishment is absolutely essential. The use of the sword on the part of the civil magistrates, Romans 13, absolutely essential for the crime of murder. And so anybody who serves as a civil magistrate needs to understand that, you know, most of the other laws are not worth discussing as much 
as the single law that was required by Almighty God at the outset of human life on planet Earth after the worldwide flood. And that was capital punishment for murder. This is a vitally important civil law that absolutely must be brought to bear. And yet it is not. People are out in the streets on the average of 16 and a half years after murdering somebody in the countries of England and Wales. More than half of violent offenders in the United States served less than three years in prison per a new Department of Justice report, and the average time an offender served in state prison was two and a half years. Violent offenders served 54% of their maximum sentence. Property offenders, only 42%, which means, you know, when you hear that somebody gets 10 years in prison, that means uh, almost nobody is going to serve 10 years. It's just not going to happen. Most crimes are not reported. Less than two in five reported crimes end in arrest. Many arrests are not prosecuted, and the overwhelming majority involve plea bargains where crimes are vastly downgraded to obtain guilty pleas. And it's mainly for the sake of efficiency. They just want to, you know, mass produce. They don't, don't want to hang up things in trial, and they can just, you know, bargain it down to almost nothing. And uh, that's the way justice works in America today. 16 to 50 percent of federal crimes have declined from prosecution. 34% of state felony cases are not convicted. So what does that mean? 66% uh, are are convicted. 42% of felony convictions end up in prison, which means, uh, what, 58% of felony convictions end up with nothing. <laughs> that's that's a felony. So these sorts of statistics are, are interesting. Five and a half million criminals are wanted on warrants that are not served. More than half of violent offenders who are released from state prison in 2016 served less than three years before their arrest. And median time served for the crime of murder in America was 13 and a half years. So that's almost what it was in the UK. Uh, so, you know, here's somebody deserving of the death penalty. Their sentences are commuted to life in prison. But uh, but the average median time served for the crime of murder in America is 13 and a half years. That's almost nothing. What a striking contrast to the counsel from Proverbs 21:15. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Now we've got in this Alice in Wonderland world in which we live, the values are inverted and the perceived victims are the people committing these heinous crimes. The leftists would have everyone believe that if you happen to be white, you are inherently racist. You are inherently a victimizer. You are inherently the problem. Well, let's take a break, Adam, and then when we get back, I want to take a look at some of the liberal roots for this soft-on-crime approach. The liberals are doing everything they can to tyrannize the masses while at the same time uh, being soft on crime. and that That is the liberal agenda, of course. It's because their worldview is not subscribing to biblical law. They're not defining right and wrong by biblical law. We'll get to that in just a moment on the Generations broadcast. Stay with us. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, 
and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we are back on the Generations broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you. And Adam, I know you've looked into this rising cadre of rogue district attorneys that really have an agenda to release criminals onto the streets. And, it's, you know, now I understand there's a worldview that undergirds this movement, but it does sound insane, oh, it does. I think, to the average person. Yeah. If you're a district attorney, your job is to prosecute the bad guys, put them in jail, make them pay their fines, protect the citizens who are the taxpayers. Yeah, it's totally nonsensical for a district attorney to be soft on crime, but that's exactly what we have. I'll tell you why in a moment, but first let me give you at least one dramatic example. John Chisholm, he is the Milwaukee rogue district attorney in Wisconsin. And he famously said, is there going to be an individual I divert, mean not put in jail or put into a treatment program, who is going to go out and kill somebody? You bet, guaranteed, it's guaranteed to happen. So he already <laughs> prophesied what would happen, what would be the end result of embracing injustice, we would see more injustice. If you don't prosecute the bad guys, the bad guys will go back out on the street and commit more crimes, number one. And number two, it will encourage people who are thinking about being bad guys to do wrong things. And this all came into sharp focus when you heard about what happened in a December 2021 Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where Daryl Brooks violently plowed his red Ford SUV into marchers in the parade, treating them like so many orange traffic cones that he didn't like. He killed six innocent people, including small children, I might add. 40 more people were injured in this domestic terror attack. Now, what's the background on Daryl Brooks? 39 years of age, an aspiring rapper, had a lengthy rap sheet, a violent history. In fact, he had used his car previously as a deadly weapon when he ran over the mother of his own children in a disturbing domestic dispute. What did John Chisholm do, the Milwaukee, Wisconsin rogue district attorney? He gave him a paltry $1,000 bail for that outrageous crime of running over the mother of his children. He was out in no time flat, able to commit the December 2021 horror of driving into people marching in the Christmas parade. That's the kind of district attorney that is being bought and paid for. And I'll tell you who's buying and paying for him. It's George Soros, the leftist billionaire. He had contributed $22,000 to Chisholm's re-election campaign back in 2017. Here in San Antonio, we saw George Soros literally invest $1.5 million to buy the district attorney's seat for Democrat leftist Joe Gonzalez in 2018. And we saw since his having taken office, the homicide rate go up by 50%. And that's pretty much been the rise in 
the murder rate nationally speaking as a result of the 75 Soros-backed social justice prosecutors. So just to give you a quick thumbnail sketch on the money he's invested, from 2018 to 2021, George Soros spent $13 million on just 10 prosecutors' races, where his organizations were by far the biggest spender in the race. And to date, George Soros has spent more than $40 million on direct campaign donations over the past decade to elect these rogue prosecutors. But the question is, why would someone invest this level of money to put into office and as district attorneys, people that don't care about prosecuting the bad guys and want to let them go? Well, I looked into it and discovered a fascinating analysis, Kevin, from Zach Smith and Cully Stimson of the Heritage Foundation. They wrote an excellent article people can Google called, It's Not Just Rising Crime, Rogue Prosecutors Are a Huge Problem. They say that we're talking about criminal defendants who are guilty of murder, rape, child abuse, abuse of women, domestic violence. And so we've got these prosecutors who are coddling the criminals, usurping the role of the legislative branch of government by declining to prosecute entire categories of uh, crimes. But the question is, why? Why has George Soros funded these rogue district attorneys? Why have they been doling out these soft on crime punishments? Well, because these leftists believe the entire American judicial system is systemically racist. Therefore, what they want to do is literally dismantle it one piece at a time. They're trying to reverse engineer the entire criminal justice system in so many words. What it comes down to is when someone, according to the police department's case and their analysis and their evidence and all of it, puts forth someone who's guilty of robbery, burglary, assault, whatever, fill in the blank, there are whole categories of these crimes that these rogue district attorneys are literally not even prosecuting. They they literally are releasing them as soon as the paperwork is completed, in terms of bail, they're allowing them to go free back on the streets. There are two considerations for the district attorney in terms of whether to let a criminal go free or set a high bail. Number one, are they a flight risk? Number two, does the person pose a danger to the community? That's how it works in the federal system. The problem is that even if they are considered a flight risk, even if they are a danger to the community, like Daryl Brooks clearly was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, having just run over the mother of his own kids, Soros's bought and paid for district attorney there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, let Daryl Brooks go nonetheless. And a year ago, December 2021, he ran over and killed six people and injured another 40. Thank you, George Soros, for more murder and mayhem. I'm a torn as to what uh, George Soros's uh, idea is for bringing these uh, rogue district attorneys into the major cities in America. Um, and I, I think, you know, part of it is his wokeism, his racism, et cetera. But George Soros is an internationalist. He hates nationalism, hates Christians. Nobody's persecuted Christians in this country more than George Soros. 
Uh, I, you know, it's possible that the Southern Poverty Law Center is a close second, but George Soros has been up front with the persecution of Christians. He's a well-known atheist. Uh, he's outspoken atheist. Soros is probably purposely creating chaos in the inner cities to prepare the nation for some kind of revolution or overturning of the social order. I think that's probably something that either consciously or subconsciously working in his system um, but I think, you know, what you're coming down to is difference in worldviews. There's a worldview that's soft on criminals and hard on everybody else. And there's a worldview that's hard on criminals and soft on everybody else in terms of wanting to, you know, reduce the amount of taxation and tyranny imposed upon the individual. Why are these guys soft on crime? Ultimately, they are embracing criminals because they hate God. It's an insult to God. They favor criminals because these political leaders are criminals. They, they hate God. They're criminal in the face of God. So I think that's it. I mean, that's the simplest way I can put it. Um, George Soros is a follower of Karl Popper, who is a, you know, a philosopher of the mid 20th century. Uh, and Popper taught that a polytheistic acceptance of all worldviews under a one world government was more or less the goal. He didn't like national boundaries. He didn't like tribalism. Ethics and values were worth pursuing as long as it's, it's pursued and determined democratically. That is, you know, the peoples come together to do it. And uh, Karl Popper was anti-nationalistic, anti-tribalist. He called himself anti-tyranny, but that inevitably this uh, form of autonomy turns into some form of tyranny. He believed the source of all authoritarianism was nationalism and religious dogma. Basically, what Popper taught was the source of evil in the world are fundamentalist Christians who believe they're right or fundamentalist Islamists who believe they're right. But Popper was mistaken in that, you know, he he thought his open society liberals would never be dogmatic about anything. <laughs> it turns out everybody's dogmatic about something. You know, the liberals, the modern open society liberals are dogmatic about homosexuality. They're dogmatic about global warming. They're dogmatic about persecuting Christians, which is exactly what George Soros winds up doing. They're dogmatic about that, which is very wrong. And uh, and they, you know, they, they can't really be certain about anything, but they pretend to be certain. They, they want certainty in a world without God, and yet they can't have certainty in a world without God. Turns out man always takes up his position with a great deal of certainty. Now, one of the problems with Popper and, uh, and with these liberals is they assume that my, man's heart is good, as as long as as long as you know government or the the, the best of the minds wind up controlling <laughs> right. everything so popper didn't realize that man's heart is evil unless there's a balance of powers in place and strong national <laughs> governments actually help with that they don't hurt it they help keep things in balance and and of course the balance of powers is a essential right the balance of powers is essential for our governments as well so you know, man has evil in his heart to corrupt power and bring about even more destruction on the earth. And Popper doesn't realize that man will seek absolute power. Maybe he does, but man will inevitably seek absolute power. He'll corrupt himself with it and bring about even more deadly destruction upon the earth. So that's the Soros worldview. It's the Popper worldview. So let's make this very simple, friends. There are two opposing worldviews operating here. The first is there are those who stand for God's laws as the standard for what is right and wrong. 
and still believe in the sinfulness of man. And civil government's there to restrain man from being as evil as he could be. Not to perfect him, but to restrain him. Okay, so that's our worldview. The second worldview are those who are against God's laws and replace God's laws with man's laws and then believe in the innocence of man and the perfectibility of man by the power of government. And if we can just get the smartest and most powerful men on earth to control a one-world government, collective man will finally achieve this perfection. Okay, that's the kind of dangerous dogma believed by men like Soros and Popper, and it's just not good. It will lead to utterly destructive means they will bring the most deadly destruction upon the earth why because they're not uh, ruling from the perspective of a biblical worldview a right perspective of man that man is depraved that man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked psalm 94 and verse 3 says lord how long shall the wicked how long shall the wicked triumph How long shall the utter and speak hard things? And all the workers of iniquity boast themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict thine inheritance. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Uh, Soros has been supporting some of the most pro-abortion organizations, the anti-religious freedom organizations in the world. Uh, And I would say Psalm 94 directs itself to the people like George Soros and the way that they persecute the righteous. Okay. Yeah, I I like the way I like the way this psalm ends as well. Now listen to the way this psalm ends. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense, and my God is the rock of my refuge, and he shall bring upon them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. So the civil magistrate has a duty to avenge God's justice against evildoers, and that's precisely the sorts of things that these rogue district attorneys are not doing in the major cities in America. What's sad to me, Kevin, is how George Soros can come in and buy a district attorney's seat. No one knew who Joe Gonzalez was, but all of a sudden, his television ads were everywhere, radio ads everywhere, billboards up everywhere. I mean, you couldn't move an inch in San Antonio without knowing that Joe Gonzalez was running for district attorney. The reason, which I failed to mention at the start of this, that George Soros targeted San Antonio and Bear County to put in one of his puppets is because the former district attorney, who happens to be an Hispanic gentleman, was decidedly opposed to sanctuary cities for illegal immigrants. That was his big sin in the eyes of George Soros and his leftist minions. Therefore, he dumped a million and a half dollars into this race. And people who had been very happy with Nico LaHood, the former district attorney, who was one of the few remaining conservative Democrats left out there, a professing Christian, had no chance to win because of the onslaught of all the ads. But I just think it's sad that the people who should have greater sense of discernment are so easily swayed by the repetition of the TV ads, the radio ads, the billboards, and that as long as the name recognition is high, people are willing to vote for that person because they think they're somehow more qualified or more credible. When, if you look into it, Joe Gonzalez was less credible than Nico LaHood. 
Well, the ironic thing about it is that democracy is supposed to identify the best candidate. And inevitably, what happens is the campaigns are funded by an oligarchy. Guys like George Soros, who's going to decide who gets the most campaign donations and who is going to get the most name recognition and who is going to be the next district attorney in the city of San Antonio. That's the irony of it all. But at the end of the day, it turns out that, you know, man is stepping in and violating God's law and not bringing God's law to bear in the civil magistrate. And when that happens, the civil magistrate does everything the civil magistrate is not supposed to do according to God's law. And they fail to do the one thing that the magistrate is supposed to do, and that is to punish the evildoer. And that would include capital punishment for murder. There are some fifteen to 20,000 murders in America in any given year. There should be somewhere between ten and 20,000 uh, executions in any given year. Instead, I think we're at like five or six for this year. It's <laughs> Thanks pathetic. to the state of Texas. Uh, so, yeah, it's just pitiful what's happening with our civil magistrate in this country today. Also, the Bible teaches restitution to victims, not incarceration as much as restitution to victims. The Bible is concerned with victims' rights. And that means that society has not been sinned against. Governments have not been sinned against. Actually, God has been sinned against. And that's why God is the avenger of all those who do wrong. Not not the civil magistrate, not any individual, but also the victims have been sinned against. And that's why biblical law says, hey, it's not to repay society. It's not to repay governments. You haven't sinned against government when you kill somebody else's kid. No, no, no. You need to you need to pay back the victim. And that's the sort of thing that Exodus 22 brings out when it says, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there should be no blood shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he shall make full restitution. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be an ox or a donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. If a man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten, shall put it in his beast and shall feed another man's field of the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard, shall he make restitution. So, you know, these are the restitution laws of the Old Testament. They certainly do apply in principle to our magistrates today. So this is how Bible would define justice. You know, how do we get justice into the courts today? Well, bring a biblical standard of justice, restitution to those who have been robbed, restitution to those who have lost a child to a drunk driver, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are the sorts of laws that the Bible recommends to us, and I believe the very standard of justice that we need to use in our civil magistrate today, largely ignored by Christians as well as non-Christians, but uh, instead of the socialist governments coming in, instead of just letting all of the prisoners out of jail, instead of allowing taxpayers to fund the imprisonment of these felons to the tune of forty to eighty thousand dollars a year, why don't we get these guys working and so they can pay back their victims? That, my friends, would be a biblical system that needs to be put in place. And of course, uh, execution for those who commit the crime of murder. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. Friends, I'd encourage you to our book, The Story of Freedom, which gives you something of a biblical perspective on the civil magistrate that available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Adam McManus inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. 